Hey everybody, this is Pastor Court Chavis. Thank you so much for checking us out today at Truth Chapel's podcast. If this word has blessed your spirit or encouraged you, take a moment and leave us a quick review. Also, check us out at truth-chapel.com or any of our social media outlets, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. God bless, and I pray you enjoy. If you have your Bibles, you can get them out, notepads, get them out, get ready. I'm going to step into teaching here in just a moment. Amen. How many enjoy the Spirit of the Lord we felt here on Sunday? Amen. What a great, what a great spirit and move of God. And uh, I was talking to someone earlier uh, tonight, and I said, you know, I know, I know that, um, I know that, uh, I know that we had a move of God because immediately the devil started messing around. Immediately started fighting. The devil don't like it when you preach on unity. The most difficult task of the church in 2021 is unity. However, the most difficult task in the church from the beginning and the birth of the church in Acts has been unity, a togetherness. If you, if you go back into the book of Acts and you read Acts chapter 2, um, and there's a lot to read there. There is a defining moment of the birth of the church, the breaking out of the Holy Ghost, uh, the establishment of what we now uh, know as the end time revival beginning in Acts chapter 2. But if you step over and go into Acts chapter 3, a lot of us, uh, when we read, we like to read the highlights. Uh, but I promise you that there is more in between the highlights than just the highlights. Amen. And if you go read Acts chapter three into chapter four, you will see something happening in that New Testament church that um, really starts shifting uh, the the entire dynamic, not only of of j- just the church, but even the culture of the world. Uh, if you've ever um, heard of the book of Josephus. Uh, you can find that book and read that book. Um, in the book of Josephus, uh, which was uh, a, a Roman leader during that time, he writes about, uh, in some of his writing, he writes about the Christian movement in his lifetime. And he, he literally writes in the first couple years, um, because, you know, we, again, I continually say this, but I, I want to drive it home. We read in text, but we do not read in context. And we can read the book of Acts in a couple, maybe an hour. You know, if you want to read it from beginning to end and you're a slow reader, you can read the book of Acts in an hour. But that's like 60 years. That makes sense. So it just seems like it's just happening. But there's a lot of time that's taking place. And Josephus talks about the first few years of the Christian movement or the birth of the church. And he literally says that they turned the world upside down. That everything changed, especially in Rome, Jerusalem, and, and Judea and Samaria, th- those parts of the earth at that time. Now, we know that later on Christianity will flow all throughout the world. But in those first few years, that just that core group 
they, they, shifted the, they, they shifted culture. But something that was very powerful is everybody in the church, there was so much unity. Now, imagine this type of unity. And, and none of us have ever experienced this. There's not anybody sitting in this room that has ever experienced this type of unity. Uh, the, the unity that they had in the early church was that literally everybody was selling everything they had and they was just giving it to the church. And they were just like, you know, here we are. We're all in this together. Everybody was coming from everywhere. They were selling all of their belongings. They were just giving it to the apostles and was like, hey, just, just do what you want to do with it. Now, you have to understand the context as well is that they all believed that Jesus was coming back like in a few minutes. You know, they, they were like, here it goes. You know, Jesus is coming back anytime now. He said he's coming back. So they're thinking in their mind like Jesus is on his way back right now. So they were just preparing for the rapture and they were just selling everything, getting everything ready. This is their mindset. And they're just giving it all to the church and everybody. Here's what the Bible says in those early years. If you want to go read this in Acts uh, 3 and 4. In those early years, the Bible says this, that they had all things common. Meaning that they all had the same thing. That's, that was unity. That is unprecedented unity altogether. Now, um, I don't know if we could ever get back to that. I don't know if we could ever get back to that. And now, here's what happens when you have that kind of unity. That if someone steps out of that line of unity, it has a ripple effect through the whole church. Because we know this. We know this when uh, there was a, a, a couple who sold a piece of land. And they came and they, they brought the money to Peter. And, you know, they kept a percentage back for themselves. You know, I, I don't know why. They, they just decided to keep money. And they brought it to Ananias. The guy's name was Ananias. His wife was named Sapphira. And they brought the money to. And when they handed the money to Peter, when he handed the money to Peter, he said, is this everything? Is this all, your, all the money that you have? Is this what you sold it for? And he said, absolutely, knowing that he had held money back. And when he said it, he lied to the man of God and God killed him. Now, you have to understand that this is after Calvary. After the, you know, in introduction of the Holy Ghost, after the introduction of grace, the veil is torn. Now, that's never going to happen again that we know of in, in the New Testament church. Now, um, I do have uh, a few stories of friends of mine. Uh, one man in particular in Louisiana told me and my wife one time, uh, he said that he went to a city and there was no revival in the city. And he was at a church. Me and a man had preached at this church for many, many years. It's in a small town in, in Louisiana. And, and the guy who was the pastor of the church, he's an he's a older bishop now. And just a mighty, mighty man of God. If I said his name, some of you would probably recognize him. And he told us, he said, in that, he said that was the hardest city that I ever pastored a church in. He said it was dead. People were mean. It was, it was full of racism. It was, it was hatred. There were fi it was fighting in the church. We would get 30 or 40 people. There would be a split. 15 would go here. 15 would go here. He said, we would get 50 people. It would be a split again. 25 here, 25. He said, it was just crazy. Like this, the, the demonic power of division was just in that city and it, on every end. He said, so I started praying that God would kill people. And when he said it, me and, my, me and Amanda were like, what did, what did you just say? 
He said, yeah. He said, I started praying that God would just start killing people. He said, because there was always ringleaders. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, in one year, I preached more funerals than you can shake a stick at. And he said, we had revival. Now, I don't know if God answered that man's prayers. I don't know. That's, that's, that's not in my, um, definitely not in my um, price bracket of what I'm allowed to do or say. Um, but I do know this, that I do have some New Testament proof. Some New Testament proof that, that, that God will shut a thing down. Because after this happened, after, after Ananias and Sapphira did this, the church the, the ripple effect that went through the church, the church will never look the same in the New Testament. There is a short period of time between Acts 2 and the end of Acts 4 where you see this crazy unity that's mind-boggling. And then after this, after Ananias and Sapphira, you'll never see that again. It, it never comes back. It never comes back. And now I don't know if that was God pushing them out of this like um, cocoon because as of yet, at the end of chapter 4, we know for certain, as of yet, there had been no trip to Judea. There had been no trip to Samaria. And the, the, the apostles were literally just staying home. They were just staying around the comfortability of their place. And then they started getting persecuted. And when persecution came, because they had literally changed the world, and politicians were like, we cannot have this, they began to push the church into a corner and to pressure them. And when the pressure came, they started going to different countries. And now I do believe that that's what God wanted, that God put them under pressure so that they would go do God's will. As long as it was good in Jerusalem, we're not leaving Jerusalem. As long as the church is growing and we're having a good time and we're literally changing the culture of our world, this is what God wants. But they were neglecting the Great Commission, which is to go into the uttermost parts of the earth and preach the gospel to every creature. That was... That was Literally, the demand of God, the command, the demand of God to them was you got to go preach this to anybody you can get your hands on. They need to hear the gospel. And so that unity that we have in that, in that New Testament church, we'll, we'll, we'll never experience that again. But we experience on certain levels throughout history. Throughout history, there are certain times when churches will come together, people will come together, and there'll be a, a sense of unity. And when that unity happens, great things, great things happen. And I can take you all the way back in the Old Testament till after the flood, after the death of Moses, um, I'm sorry, after the death of Noah, after the death of Noah, the Bible says that those people, the descendants of Ham, Shem, and, and Japheth, they got together and the Bible said that they all had one language and they made a decision. They said, we're going to build us a tower so that we'll never have to deal with a flood again. And we're going to build a tower to the heavens. And God said, because they're so unified, they'll actually do this. And I'm pretty sure that they had the mindset to build a tower into the heavens, but did not have the understanding and technology to understand the higher we get. We can't breathe. So God had to stop them. Or they probably would have all died. Because they would have built the tower into the heavens and had no way to have oxygen. <laughs> you can't breathe up there. 
That's why when guys do halo jumps, they have oxygen mask because the air is so thin up there you can't breathe it. So we know that unity brings unprecedented things. And uh, again, I know that God was in what I was speaking on Sunday because uh, just as soon as Monday hit, the devil lifted his head because the greatest struggle of the church in 2021 will be unity. Unity. The second greatest struggle of the church will be understanding and knowledge. Now, if that surprises you, if you're like, well, no, we got this going on, we got that going on. I mean, Pastor Chavis, there's so many problems. We got so many problems. Are you telling me that uh, the greatest problem in the church that we're going to have is unity and the second greatest problem is knowledge? Like, that doesn't make sense in 2021 because there's so many things to look at. But if I can tell you this, there's two things under attack in this world today. And I'm not going to say America. I'm just going to say the world. Two things under attack in this world today. Just think about this for a minute. Just, just, just for a moment, look outside this, these four walls and look outside your own little life and look into the world and tell me the two things, the two things that are under attack most. Number one, unity. There is a spirit of division that is in this world today that none of us have ever experienced. We've never experienced disunity like this. Say, so, well, Pastor Chavis, you didn't live in the 40s and 50s and 60s. I know. But in those days, at least you had maybe two sides. There's 20 sides now. As a matter of fact, if you identify with something different tomorrow, you can make another side. And you can go to the Supreme Court and they'll give you rights to protect your side. Amen. It used to be dice when there were like six sides. <laughs> but now I don't know what the game is called, but you ever seen that game that has that like octagon thing that rolls and it has like 20 sides to it? That's that's 2021. There's 21 sides. So like we've never seen the push for disunity like we've seen today. People literally hate each other over silly things. People hate each other over stuff that can't even be proven. It's not scientific. It's not, it's not uh, literature. It's not historical. It's just, this is just what I feel. And if you disagree with their feelings or you even try to bring science into it, it's offensive and you're a bigot and I hate you and you're unlearned and you just don't, you just don't know. D unity is under attack, not, not just in the church. It's always been under attack in the church, always. But we are seeing unity under attack in our world today like we've never seen it before. And now we have all the tools to spread disunity. Before, if, you're, if your neighbor disagreed with you, you may actually never know that your neighbor had a different view than you unless y'all was at a barbecue one weekend and you brought up a subject, which when I was younger... I mean, like, you just didn't talk about religion and politics. Literally, when, when I was young, I remember people saying that, hey, man, let's talk about anything but religion and politics. Nowadays, there's nothing off the table. And we have all of the tools to let everybody know how we feel. 
And so unity is under attack. The second thing that's under attack is knowledge. What's true? What is true? And truth, truth is not a subject. Truth is not a thought. Truth, the Bible says that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is a person. And according to your Bible, truth is Jesus. And he is the most hated figure in this planet today and also the most loved figure on this planet today. And there is a divisive line on Jesus, but not one divisive line. You see, here's the thing about Jesus is Jesus doesn't just divide us on two factions. Jesus doesn't divide us in do you believe in him or do you not believe in him. That, that's not just the dividing line of Jesus or truth or the Bible. Well, the dividing line is about 75,000 different lines of everybody's view of who, what Jesus is or who, what the word is. Because if I come to you and say the Bible is absolute truths, well, then the context of our next conversation has to fall into the foundational principle that the Bible is completely true, Right? But if you say, well, I don't believe the Bible is completely true. It's written by men. It's not the infallible word of God. It can be here or there. I just taught a whole a series on this called uh, Obsessed with Abstract. And now the conversation can go anywhere. Anywhere. If there's no standard of what's true, what can we really talk about? Welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study. Because two things that we have to do in the, in, in the end time church. In the end time church, there are two things that have to be paramount and important. And listen, you know me, you go to, most of you go to church here, you know what, I, what, what I'm about. I love good church, good music, good preaching, shouting. We believe in one God, we believe his name is Jesus. We, we believe in speaking in tongues when you get the Holy Ghost. We believe in holy, righteous living. We believe in separation from the world. We believe a man is a man, a woman is a woman. Right, right, okay. I'm, I'm not ashamed to say any of these things. I believe that God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Right? I, this, is, this is just, to me, this is foundational belief system, essentiality. This is foundational belief systems. And so you know that, that you know who I am and, and, and you know what I believe. However, if, if we don't focus on the two things that God wanted most, then we will miss. It's easy for us just to go and do other stuff. But if we won't focus on the two things that God said are the most important, that is love God and love your neighbor, those two things are the foundation. Here's what, here's what God says. He says, love God, love your neighbor. And his next statement is this. The entire law hangs on these two. Like everything is hanging on that. Now, loving God is more than saying, I love God. Everybody loves God. I love God. You don't love God? What's wrong with you? Right? Everybody loves God. But what God do you love? 
right? Do you love the, the right God? Because there's a bunch of Jesuses out there, right? Like, cause, cause, because some folks believe in a Jesus that, that don't let anything slide. Some, some folks believe in a Jesus that ain't never seen grace or mercy. Some people see Jesus, he's just standing somewhere at boardwalk, sending people straight to hell. Don't pass go, don't collect $200, straight to hell. That's a Jesus that people preach. Everybody going to hell every Sunday, all you hear preach is hell. Hell, 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 amen, and some more hell. Because that's the Jesus that people believe in, that Jesus is just sending people to hell. That's why he came, to send people to hell, Right? And then there's other people who believe in a Jesus that would never, ever, ever, he's too kind, he's too nice, he's got rosy cheeks, long hair, he's beautiful. He looks like a cover girl more than anything else. And that Jesus would never send anybody to hell for no reason whatsoever. He's so kind, he's so good, he's just wonderful, and he has no rules, no regulations. Right? And then there's... 10 or 15 more Jesuses I could, I could bring out to you. But that's, that's, okay, let me just, I'm going somewhere. Some of y'all are like, what is the pastor doing tonight? This, hold on with me. Okay, so I'm going to get a little preachy on you. All right, listen. So that's eisegesis. I don't know if you know about exegesis and eisegesis. Let me, let me explain this to you. So exegesis is taking the scripture and revealing what the scripture says, Right? Straight scripture, straight to you as the hearer. I am the burning bush that's on fire with the word of God, but not consumed. And when I speak to you, right, you are hearing the true word of God. That's how I like to preach. That's how I try to preach. Exegesis. Eisegesis is taking the scripture, running it through my filter as a human being, and then giving it to you kind of how I feel it might be. That's eisegesis, okay? So there's a bunch of Jesuses out there because people like to preach in eisegesis and not exegesis. Because if you, if you go straight from the scripture, neither one of those Jesuses are correct. They're both lacking because Jesus is good. He is kind. He came and died so that you could live again. But, but in his life, he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, which means he has a yoke. He's not a yokeless Jesus. A yoke is a, is a burden that controls the, the, the thing in which it's put on. This is, a, this is a farm term, and the people he's talking to, they live in an agricultural world, and they know when he says, take my yoke upon you, that it means take my control upon you. Like I'm going to put my control on you and I'm going to lead you and guide you and direct you and I'm going to be in control of your life. Now, now he's continuing in that same scripture. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I'm meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your soul. For, for my burden is easy. Right? And, and my load is light. Like, like it's, it's easy and it's light, but it is controlling. Like, I, I love you and I have mercy for you, but you have to do what I say. Amen. But 
that's exegesis. That's from the word. That, that's giving you what the word says and not me trying to make my savior fit my cultural mindset. My Jesus hates certain things. He hates sin. He despises it. He even asked us to hate it like he hates it. Hate it like I hate it. Then he says, love, love things like, like I love things. And he, he says things that are not completely relevant until you have the Holy Ghost and then that relevant, that revelation comes to you because the Spirit leads you into all truths. But there's a whole mindset of you don't need the Holy Ghost as long as you know Jesus. Right? As long as you believe in Jesus, that's all you need to do. Right? Now the foundation, is there's two foundational scriptures for that belief system. Two foundational scriptures for that belief system. The first foundational scripture for that belief system is John 3.16. Right? Great scripture. Love it. It is true. It is right. Nothing wrong with that scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life, okay? So we take that scripture, the world takes that scripture, and they don't exegesis because if you exegesis it, you got to put it in context. They eisegesis it. They say, well, the Bible said, if you believe in him, you shall have everlasting life. Th this is it. Just, just believe in him. Until you understand that John, who was writing this book 68 years after the death of Jesus, was not writing that book to unsaved people. The book is not written to sinners. The book is written to the church. This was not a book on how to be saved. He's not writing, he's writing it to the church who already believes who understand what he's saying. They get it because they've experienced it. I've said this before, I'll say it again. No apostle, no apostle. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the main ones, Paul as well. None of, there is no book in the New Testament that was written to the world. I'll say that again because I really want you to get this. I, I need you to get this tonight. There is not one book in the New Testament that was written to unsaved people. Not one. Every one of the books that you read in the New Testament were written to the church. Every one of them. The only book in the New Testament that could be considered written for informational purposes is the book of Acts written by Luke. His historical account of the birth and early years of the church. But also the book of Acts, not necessarily written to a lost and dying world, but written to a church, written to people of God who understand the word of God, written about people functioning in Acts, talking to people who don't know God and saving those people, converting those people, right? But the book itself is not written to those people, it's written to the church as Example as historical foundation and an in sample as well. Because 
as they're writing, they're writing to the church to go do these works as well. Here's the acts of the apostles so you can follow in the acts of the apostles. And so I'm saying all this because tonight what I need us to understand as a church, as foundational, as, as truth chapel, as a church, as foundational, our two greatest commandments in the word of God, and it has to be our two greatest thought processes as saints, is that we love God and we love our neighbor. Now, I can go for hours on loving our neighbor, and I preached a great sermon on Sunday. If you want to go back and check it out about loving our neighbor, let Judah speak, when Judah speaks. It's a great message on unity and you should listen to it, and you should put it in your repertoire, and you should pray that God would help you love your neighbor, and you should pray that God would help you with forgiveness and help you with bitterness and help you with loving people who don't necessarily deserve your love. But you give it to them anyway, right? That's what we need, and I'll continue to talk more about that. But love God, love your neighbor. The love God part is that we have to know exactly what we're talking about. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul. If we don't know it, how can we love it? If we don't understand it and if we don't obey it. Jesus says this in the, in, in the book of, of, of Mark when, when his, he, he's just performed several miracles. He's sitting in the house. They come to him. They say, Jesus Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want to talk to you. And Jesus, Jesus is so rude. Jesus says, who is my mother and my brothers? Who, who is my family? He says, I'll tell you who my family is. My family are the ones that do my commandments. That do what I say do. He said, my family, my family is not those people sitting outside wanting to talk to me. My family are the people who will follow my laws, follow my commandments, walk after me, do what I say do. Those being, as we know, the apostles who did what he said do. They did what he said do. That's why when you go to the book uh, of Matthew and you read where Jesus says, go into all the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So, so, so we have this, this moment right here. This, this is a foundational moment too where, where we get separated from truth because people see that and they stop there. So that's what Jesus said. So that's what we're going to do. However, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Timothy, and everybody else, not one of them, not one of them, five, five times in the New Testament we know for sure, None of them ever baptized anybody in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. So were they disrespectful? Were they disobedient? No, they were, they were the sons of God. They did exactly what Jesus asked them to do, but they knew his name. They knew because they wrote later on that God had given him a name that at his name, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess, and there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus. That, that God saw fit to allow the fullness of the Godhead to rest in that name. So the fullness of the Godhead rests in that name 
plus the blood of Jesus rests in their name. Because how can you get the blood applied to your life now? The, the, the cross is gone and the blood is dried up and gone. The only way that you get the blood is it's in the name. And so when we put you down in the water, we don't put you down in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost because that's not what the apostles did. We put you down in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins because that's what the apostles did. And that baptism is for the redemption of your body. It redeems you. It redeems you. Now, I haven't even given a title tonight, uh, but if I could, I, I, I asked Brother Gary to get this ready for me. If I could, and, and many of you heard me talk about this before, but I believe right believing is where we have to start. If I could talk about anything, I want to talk about redemption and adoption. Be because Christ came to redeem us that we might be adopted. And if, if I'm going to get these two things right, love God and love my neighbor, love God, love my neighbor, then I have to love, I have to get the God part right. A lot of us struggle with loving our neighbor because we don't really know the God that we love. You know the God that I talk about, but you have no personal relationship with him. You say, well, how do I have a personal relationship with him? Have a personal relationship with his word because he is the word and the word is him. If you want to get to know him, read his word. How does a couple get to know each other? They talk. They communicate. If, I, if you show me a marriage where no one talks, I will show you a frustrated relationship. You don't have to raise your hand. Please don't. But there are people sitting in this room right now. You have a, your, your marriage is struggling, and the reason it's struggling is because y'all don't talk enough. You don't know each other's words. If you talked more, maybe you could work it out. He won't talk. She won't talk. We don't talk. One of the greatest challenges in any relationship is lack of communication. Now, Jesus did something wonderful for us. <laughs> God did something wonderful for us as he put all his words down so that we could read them all the time. And, and when I'm struggling, I can talk to him. And, and when I don't know what to do, I know what he says. He, he talks to me every day through his word. And if I want to hear him talk out loud, I just read out loud. It's his word. It's him, Right? And his word is alive, meaning, meaning that it's breathing. And the word breathes. And, and this is why, this is why many of you, like me, been in church your whole life, can hear a scripture preached or read a scripture tomorrow and go, I never saw that before. Because the truth, the spirit leads you into all truths. And you say, man, I read that verse a long time ago, but today it's speaking something totally new to me and how do you know that God doesn't have something new for you tomorrow if you don't take some time tomorrow and open your word and learn about the God that you say you love do you love her talk to her speak to her tell her she's beautiful tell her tell her that she's valuable tell her that you think that she's awesome if you talk 
She'll talk back. Do you, want, do you love him? Talk to him. Talk to him. He'll talk back. If you talk, Do you want to hear from God? Talk to him and then read his word. He will show you something in there that you have never seen before because his word is alive. It's breathing. It's ever moving. It's ever revealing. He can peel back the, the revelatory curtain in front of your eyes and show you a scripture that can bring you so much peace. There ain't a pill or a psychiatrist, or a hospital, or a preacher, or a pastor that can bring you that much peace because he is the wonderful counselor. And he came to redeem us, but not just to redeem us. He came to adopt us. The reason that, 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 that we can love God, we can love Jesus in the way that he desires for us to love him is that he wants us to be sons and daughters. I think this is so important to development and maturity as a Christian. I think it's so important because of this. Many of us struggle with how we view ourselves in the relationship with God. Okay. I struggle. Transparency, is it okay? Do I have time to be transparent? It's 8 o'clock. Okay, I struggle sometimes with feeling like an employee. That I work for God, and so I do. Sometimes I struggle. I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm just an employee. Like, I just punch a clock, you know. I'm, I'm working for the Lord, and it's easy to get caught up in working for him and uh, get, getting that feeling sometimes of just like, I'm just an employee, and I'm just doing my job for the Lord, right? So... There's that. And, and then there's sometimes where I feel like that, that I'm just a servant, you know, just a servant of the Lord, and I'm just serving him, serving his people, and, and, and that's, that's great. And, and, and there is edification in that. And, and, and as many of you know, there's fulfillment in that as well. But I can get caught up in that, and I'm just, I'm just a servant for the Lord. I don't really get any benefits from this other than saying I'm a servant of the Lord. And then a lot of people in the room tonight maybe feel like, like slaves. Like I'm here so that I don't go to hell. That's slave mentality. I hope this is okay on a Wednesday night because I don't, I'm not, I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to go somewhere where maybe you never heard a preacher go before, okay? I'm just trying to go somewhere where I'm trying to bring you into something because I want you to understand development of salvation, when, when, when God saved you, it wasn't because he just didn't want you to go to hell. It's that he wanted you to be his son or daughter. And, and when he says, love God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, he, he's not just talking about coming to church and, lo and, and loving God. He, he, he wants there to be something more. Like, like because, like, some of you in here, you know, you got jobs or you, or you got company and, and, and you got a good job and you love that job, but you don't love that job. You, you love that the job lets you go to the beach every once in a while. You know, you love that the job lets you drive a nice car. 
You love that the job keeps a roof over your head. Man, it's a good job, but you don't love the job. I mean, if they call you tomorrow and say, hey, man, take the day off, you're going to be like, no, man, I'm coming in. <laughs> Come, don't, I'm coming in, buddy. I'm coming in. I just love it there. I love it there. I love the coffee. No one's doing that. And if you are, we need to talk. We need to talk a little bit. <laughs> I, need to pray. I need to pray for you. But here's the deal. We, 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 we do God the same way. We do God the same way. It's like I love God because I'm, I'm a Christian and I go to church and I do my thing. But, like, do I really love him, though? Like, is there a connection between me and God? Does he talk to me on a daily basis? Do I feel him in my moments? Do, do I feel like I could just drop everything and just have a moment with the Lord at any time? Do I feel like when I'm, when I'm really talking to God that he hears me? I'm, I'm going to tell you this today. This is, this is going to, this is not, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to be super spiritual here, y'all. I'm not. Y'all know me. I'm court. Like, today, I got Courtney's truck fixed, my truck, but Courtney, the, the truck that Courtney drives is my truck. I, I got the, the truck fixed, and when I picked it up, the guy said, look, man, he said, I got it all fixed. He said, but the, the power steering fluid has been, been leaking on that belt. And he's like, I could keep it for another day or two and try to get you a new belt, put that belt on. It'd be more money, you know, but, but like, and I, I'm trying to get rid of the truck. I'm trying to sell the truck, trying to trade the truck in, get Courtney a little something more dependable. It has like 200,000 million miles on it. And I was like, I was like, man, it's okay. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get rid of it in the next couple of weeks, you know. And we, and we get outside. He's like, well, he said, he said well, look, the, the belt could probably snap at any time. He said, but it, it may run for another 1,000, 2,000 miles. Don't know. I get outside. Courtney's leaving. Her and Cindy get in the truck. They, they're leaving to go get breakfast together. I sit in my truck, and I said, God, I want you to touch that belt. And I felt God come in that truck with me. I said, Lord, I strengthen that belt today. I said, you know I'm trying to get rid of that truck. I don't, I don't feel like spending two, three hundred more dollars on that truck. God, if, and protect my babies. Watch over my children, Lord. Touch that. Now, I'm not trying to be super spiritual, but what I'm, I'm trying to tell you is that the Lord's going to touch that belt. And you know why? Because I'm not his employee. Listen, I'm not his servant, and I'm not his slave. <laughs> you know why he's going to touch that belt? Because I'm his son. And if you, you who are earthly and evil would do good things for your children, how much more? You see, Jesus came to redeem us, and we see the cross, and we see blood, and we see the beauty of that moment. Oh, how horrifically beautiful it is. But behind the scenes, Galatians 4 and 4 will show us this. Watch this in Galatians 4 and 4. He says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Why? To redeem them that were under the law. Watch. That we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, if you're reading too fast, you're going to miss that. You're going to miss that because God didn't come to redeem you just so you could be redeemed. He came so you could be adopted. He wanted you. 
It's not, I just covered you in my blood. I didn't just redeem you from a devil's hell. It's more than a devil's hell. It's more than a lake of fire. It's more than a, than a pit. It's, it's more than, than, than sin and darkness. But, and it's more than redemption. Redemption is a part of it, but it's not the whole story. The cross is not the whole story. The cross is not the whole story. If God was satisfied, I need you to hear this tonight. If Jesus was satisfied with the cross, if the cross is the end of the story, if believe on him and you shall be saved is the end of the story, then the Bible would look like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Revelation. We'd be done. But it's not about redemption alone. Redemption is the key that unlocks the door, that opens up the position so that he can say, I want to adopt you. Adopt you. Listen, this is why the Holy Ghost is so important, church. I'm not up here preaching Holy Ghost because I'm Pentecostal. I'm not up here preaching Holy Ghost because I'm apostolic. No, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop thinking in those terms. Stop thinking that we're different than the Baptists and the Methodists or whatever. whatever. Stop thinking all that. We got to stop trying to position ourselves in some sort of fancy way to be religious or denominational. It's not about that. Forget all that. It's about I want to be a son. And he has sent forth the spirit of his son, the spirit of his son. That's the next verse. He has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The spirit connects father and son. It is the spirit. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. Listen, I am a prosperity preacher. Absolutely. I'm a prosperity preacher. You know why? Because I got the Holy Ghost. And if I got the spirit of the son in my life, it makes me an heir. And you know what an heir is? An heir gets everything daddy has. And, and I'm not just his employee. I'm not just a servant. I'm just a son. And when I say I love God, it's more than I love God because I don't want to go to hell. I love God because I want to be right. I love God because I want to fit in. No, I love God because he's my father. And I'm his son. And if we get caught up in religiousosity and we get caught up in just being who we are because we're Pentecostal, apostolic, or whatever you want to call it, we get caught up in that, we, we will miss the context and the beauty of adoption. I don't believe in the Holy Ghost because my mama and daddy did. I don't believe in the Holy Ghost because my grandpa did. And I don't believe in the Holy Ghost because my denomination did. No, if you come to me and say, hey, Pastor Chavis, how can I be saved? I'm going to tell you, repent of your sins be baptized in his name and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost by the evidence of speaking in tongues. Not because that's the denominational line that I'm supposed to speak. No, no, no. It's because I need you to know that unless you do, you're not a son. You're not a son. And to be a son or a daughter is the ultimate goal. Are you hearing me, church? It's the ultimate goal. We're not, we're not here to preach sermonettes to Christianettes and, 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 and talk just, just Bible study. But, but you need to know that the two greatest movements that God wants in the end time revival is love God, love your neighbor. It is the, the whole law hangs on these pendulums. And you can't love God. You can't love God from a side seat view. Just being here because this is the religion you chose. No. See, there are many of you, most, 
um, maybe everybody in the room, baptized, repent of your sins, filled with the Holy Ghost, and you are living so far beneath your means. You're living so far below. Oh, my gosh. You're living so far below your means. Your, your father adopted you. Don't you get that? You're his kid. You're his kid. He, he would give you anything. Anything. He, he, can, he can heal. He would, he would love to take the cancer out of your body just as much as he'd love to touch that stupid belt in my daughter's truck. You know what I'm saying? Like, but we, we keep sitting around focusing on some of the dumbest stuff. Hmm. Watch Romans 8, I'm, I'm closing. Romans 8, uh, go to Romans 8, Brother Gary, uh, verse, start in verse 13. Uh, Romans 8 and verse 13. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. You need the spirit to even live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's right. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You see this? But you receive the spirit of adoption whereby we cry of a father. Put, leave that verse up because you're going to miss it. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage. What? See that spirit right there? Go back to verse 14 real quick, uh, uh, Brother Gary. See, now, if you're reading in your Bible, led by the spirit, that spirit is capitalized. Watch the next one. For we are not led by the spirit of God, the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage. That spirit is not capitalized in your Bible. Not capitalized. Because he's wanting to draw a delineation between his spirit and the spirit of the world. What he's saying is, when I saved you, I didn't save you into bondage. I'm not his captor. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like when he saved me, he didn't save me into it. When the world takes you, the world takes you into bondage and addiction and, and, and brokenness and depression and anxiety and strife and stress and all manners of things. It's, it's a spirit of bondage that puts on you. But he's saying, when you receive my spirit, ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You've not, when you, the spirit that I put on you is not the spirit of bondage or fear. Don't, don't be tied down to this. And don't be afraid of God. But ye have received the spirit of adoption. When I saved you, I didn't put bands around you. When I saved you, I put a robe and a ring on you and put some shoes on his feet and, and killed a fatted calf because my son who was dead is alive again. Let, let, let's have a party. All of heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents because he's not bringing you back in for chains. and He doesn't have no change in his repertoire. It's freedom in his repertoire. He said, I want to adopt you. I did not come to bind you. I came to adopt you. I want you. I want you. And we struggle with loving God. And we struggle with, some of us struggle with loving ourselves and loving our neighbor because we struggle with loving God because many of us see this as a duty and a demand 
And deep down inside, if you knew you could do what you wanted to do and go to heaven, you'd do it. That's, that's hard preaching right there. I know what some of y'all think hard preaching is, but that was hard preaching. That last statement I just said, that's hard preaching. Hard, hard preaching is not offending people. Hard preaching is not saying shock jock stuff to try to get a rise. Hard preaching is speaking a hard truth that sinks deep down in your, in your heart and you know that if I could just do anything I wanted to do and get away with it and still go to heaven, I probably would do what I wanted to do. And that's just a realization that you have to have as a human being and say, yeah, well, if that's how I really feel, then am I truly a son of God? Or have I traded in my sonship for something so less than he sees me as a son and I see him as a taskmaster, a rule writer, a note taker. It always frustrates me as a pastor to sit in an office and someone look at me and said, Pastor, what did I do? Why is God doing this to me? We have that in our spirit. You know, you know what that, why that's in your spirit? Because you see him as a taskmaster. You see him as a note taker. You think that he's keeping tabs on you and he's waiting for the opportunity just to drop hell on you to say, 90-90 boo-boo, I got you back. He's not vengeful. Watch this. His mercies are new every morning. <laughs> every morning he's fresh. Hi, son. Hi, daughter. How are you? My, nurse, my, my mercies are brand new, fresh at the oven for you today. What do you got today? But you still think that he's holding what you did yesterday against you. And he's trying to tell us his mercies are new every morning. I love you today as much as I did when I died on that cross for you. I love you. And I didn't die on the cross for you just so I could keep you out of hell. I died on that cross for you because I wanted you to be mine. Would you stand with me? I hope this is okay. I hope this is okay. I, I, listen, Brother Gary will tell you, I probably got like, what, 17 more verses that I sent you? I got a whole lot more to preach. I'm, I may come back later and, and finish this up. My goal as a pastor, if, if I don't do this as a pastor, then, then what kind of pastor am I? I'm just, I'm just a preacher preaching whatever, you know, sermonettes. I'm, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't find uh, significance in sermonizing. What my goal is, is, is that I would, I would ignite something in you as a saint that, that you would say, wait a minute, why, why am I even here? And you would shift your view of him. He doesn't have to shift his view of you. He sees you as a son and daughter right now. Right now. And listen, if you're in this room and you've never received the Holy Ghost and you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, or maybe you've never come to an altar and repented of your sin, can I tell you, you need to do that ASAP, as soon as possible. Absolutely, that's what we believe. And I don't believe it just because my denomination says it. I believe it because it's in the word of God and you need to be a son and a daughter of God. Just to love him is not enough. Just to believe in him is not enough. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? You believe? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Acts 19. 
I believe in, in, in that. We got to have that. That is, that is definitely part of it. If you never have it, you need to get it. But there are some other people in this room, you've had the Holy Ghost so long, you, you can't remember the day you got it. And if you could start seeing him as the best dad that maybe you never had, as the greatest father on the planet, in the universe, in the cosmos, that, that he loves you to the point, he loves you to the point, he loves you so much, he'll let you do whatever you want to do. He loves you so much that he'll just let you do. But here's what he said. He said, if you, if you really let me be your father and, 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 and if you really let me be your father and you let yourself be my son, he said, I'll chastise you. But he said, God's never rebuked me. That's because he don't feel like he can. The, the reason God's never chastised you, the reason God's never rebuked you is because you don't see him as a dad yet. And he doesn't chastise servants, slaves, or employees. He says, I only chastise my children. He said, and that's when you know that you're a good child of God is when the rebuke comes. He said, because I only rebuke those that I love. <laughs> Some of y'all thought that rebuke that came from God was because he didn't love you. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. He did that because he is crazy about you. I feel the Holy Ghost here. Would you just lift your voice to him right now, God? I pray this word was an encouragement to you today. Thank you again for tuning in to Truth Chapel's podcast. If you have not yet, please take a moment and leave us a quick review. God bless and have a great rest of your day.